He holds a graduate degree in business, theology, and philosophy, wide-ranging subjects. He completed his Ph.D. in Hebrew Bible from Drew Theological Seminary in, um, in New Jersey. He has worked and lived throughout the world. He's also, by the way, an accomplished pianist, performed around the world, and was selected even as a finalist in international competitions. He was also an executive for ExxonMobil for several years and was stationed abroad. He is now the dean of the College of Biblical Studies at OC. He has two children. Unfortunately, his wife passed away in 05, but he is here tonight to share with us about the resurrection and the life. Charles? Good evening. It's really good to be here tonight uh, for lots of reasons. One is I'm very, um, really excited, very energized about the subject and what all of you have been studying in terms of the sayings of Jesus. I think that's always a great thing to study, to go back uh, to the word and actually focus on what Jesus said. Uh, that's ground zero. It's the essence of of everything. I'm excited about that. I'm also excited to be here um, because uh, in my seven years now at being at OC, I have really enjoyed the students that you have sent to that college. Um, I've had the privilege of having a number of them in my uh, Bible classes and being on retreats with uh, some of them and getting to know them, and they're just wonderful. I just love them to death. And so thank you um, for sending uh, students our way, and I look uh, forward to having more students come to OC. Um, as, uh, as Douglas mentioned kind of in the introduction, um, my background is, is really varied. Um, having had a, a career in international business, um, also being a full-time minister in New Jersey for almost 20 years, and now being in academia and uh, teaching at uh, one of our Christian universities. Uh, I've also had the privilege of doing mission work across the different places where I have lived. And uh, my wife, while she was alive, was very much a partner with me in that. Uh, we were raised our children in the Northeast, in kind of the New York City area, very, very culturally diverse area, as you can probably imagine. Both of them are now married, and they live in, uh, one lives on the East Coast in New York City, the other one in Portland, in Oregon. I'm in the middle, in Oklahoma, which means it's easier for me to go there from the, for, them, for them to come <laughs> uh, down this way, just travel and wise. But the point of all of this is that throughout my adult life, in thinking about my faith, and uh, thinking about my faith in the context of a number of different cultures, and a number of different competing religious structures and philosophies. I've had the, the opportunity to reflect on what is it about Christianity that is different? What is it about Christianity that makes it right and worth pursuing? What is it about Christianity that is essential? That, that, what is that one thing that if you take it out, 
you don't have Christianity anymore. And I think that's an important thing to consider, particularly tonight, because in the world in which we live, as it comes closer and closer and closer together uh, through things like social media, the, well, the, just the internet in general, that information is so easily accessible. I see this in students all the time, right? I mean, they, I, I feel like sometimes as a teacher, I'm more a processor of information <laughs> Uh, than one who gives information because they can already get the information on the internet, right? Uh, they don't need me to give it to them. They already have a lot of information. But the, the thing is, how do you make sense of it? And what do we make of it? And so when it comes to Christianity, there's so much out there. There are so many different competing thoughts. Even Christianity in a lot of circles seems like a menu, right? Um, you've got all these different things that could be involved in Christianity, and I'll take that one, and I'll have a number five, and, you know, I'll, I'll do seven except without this. You know how that goes, right? And so when it came to this particular topic, the thing I want to open with tonight is that without the resurrection, you do not have Christianity. You have something else. I don't, that can be, I, we could call it any number of things. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is at the center of the gospel, right? It is something that Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, which also in its day, as you, I'm sure you know this, was a, a very cosmopolitan, culturally diverse center in the ancient world. And, and you know, Corinth wasn't just some city on you know, kind of out of the way that nobody ever went to. I mean, it was a place where it was a crossroads, right? And it's in the letter to the people that lived in that city that Paul saw fit to say, I want to remind you what is core to Christianity. What you cannot remove from Christianity and still have the Christian faith, right? And this is articulated in John chapter 15 when he says, I want to remind you what is of first importance. So let's read that. You can see it up here on the, on the screen. Um, <clears throat> but what, um, the way Paul phrases it, beginning in verse 3, what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that which is more important than other things, that one, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he goes on to say that he appeared to more than 500 at the same time, most of whom are still living. And then he goes on with the rest of that, of that thought. But it's notable that Paul singles out three things, right? That Christ died for our sins, he was buried, meaning that he was dead, and that he was raised again, right? So the resurrection, when we talk about Jesus, I am the resurrection, I am the life, this is not optional. This isn't something that we can just put to the side. This is at the center, right? The, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, Paul even goes on in this letter, in this chapter, to say something that's even more significant, or not more significant, but it underscores the significance of it. 
He says, beginning in verse uh, 12, and I'll put um, a couple of verses up here, but I'm going to start in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, now notice what he says, then not even Christ has been raised. And here's what's important. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That's a wow, right? That is worth underlining if you're an underliner or a, a highlighter, because this is not said in this strong of terms, really, of, of many other things. If, if this didn't happen, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And that something is, if Christ has not been raised. Right? So without the resurrection, what are we doing here? <laughs> right? He's saying that your, our faith, our proclamation, the word he uses here is useless, and so is your faith. So what this does is it puts the resurrection and the reality of the resurrection at the core, at the center. And so what I want us to think about tonight is with the resurrection at the center, what does that mean for us? What, what does that, how do we think about that in terms of how we live? So the picture that we have of that is in the Gospel of John, right? The picture, the one that we're talking about tonight um, is the, uh, when Jesus... Uh, raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, the back, a little bit of background uh, to this story, and I always like to keep in mind that when we're reading a story um, <clears throat> out of either the Old Testament or even the New Testament, um, we have to keep in mind that the, that the people in the story and the things that they are, that are related to them, they didn't have the benefit of a lot of history of discussion about Christian themes, right? They didn't exist back then. They, they, the, the, what we know of as a study Bible is a pretty modern invention, right? Um, they, they were hearing a lot of things for the very first time, which is what makes these stories so remarkable. And in this particular uh, story it's, uh, of, the, of the resurrection, it's set against a, a history of the Jews that didn't have a very well-formed idea about what the resurrection was, if there was a resurrection at all. Right? Uh, you probably know from your, from your Bible uh, readings and studies that the, the Jewish religious uh, culture at the time was, was divided on this subject. Right? There were those that, that believed in the resurrection, and there were those who, who did not. But even predating the time of Jesus, if we go back into the, into the Old Testament, um, there is not a well-worked-out idea about resurrection. It's, it's mentioned a couple of times, and there's some examples of people being uh, raised from the dead. But in terms of a well-thought-out understanding of what life was like after death, it was very fuzzy, and it was confined uh, to uh, some of the, the most that we have, for example, for example, maybe the end of Isaiah, uh, the new heaven and the new earth, a reference in Daniel, uh, the first three verses of chapter 12. Um, but for the most part, what a, a typical Israelite would have, would have known and worked with 
real time was that life was pretty much all that you had. And that to live a good life meant to live it close to God. Um, but in terms of what happened after that, uh, pretty much everyone would have understood that you went to the place of the dead that everybody went to. But the idea of a resurrection was still really very fuzzy. And so when we come to the, to the New Testament and Jesus makes this statement, I am the resurrection, this is a big deal. <laughs> right? This, this is, this is a, 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 a radical God concept that, that would have that would have really sharpened the ears of people who would have heard it to have to think about, well, what does that, what does that mean? And so the, the discourse that we're in tonight comes at um, a time involving Mary and her sister Martha. We're familiar with them. Um, uh, the Mary whose brother is Lazarus was the one who was sick. These were people who were loved and known by Jesus. Um, <clears throat> and so he, he lays sick. And as the story goes, the people come to him and tell him that Lazarus is, is sick and that, G, that he needs to come. And curiously enough, Jesus delays a little bit. And in that delay, Lazarus dies. And so when Jesus comes to the, to the family, um, people are really distraught about this. And in fact, by the time Jesus comes, Lazarus, as the text says, um, has been in the tomb for four days. Um, there's a need to comfort Mary and Martha. In other words, this is a very, very sad, difficult time. It's a time that I think all of us, in one way or another, can relate to when we have the passing of a relative or a close friend. We know that this is a, this is a, a very, it's a very potent time, it's a very dark time, it's a difficult time. What do we do with this time? How do we think about this time? We're feeling the loss, a lot going on during um, this time. And Martha says uh, to Jesus in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 21, something that I think all of us probably might have or likely would have said. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But then she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And, and she answers, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. This, this, is, this is a moment when Jesus confronts her with the centerpiece of the, of, of the reality of the gospel, right? That those who die will live again. Those who believe in me will live again. And he says, I am 
the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks, do you believe this? This is the key question that I think all of us have to confront one or more times in our faith journey. And it's essentially the, this is essentially the, the, the challenge, right, that, that, that really makes Christianity just absolutely explode and come alive. And it's, it's, the, it's the question, do you believe that God is able to make something dead live again? Do you believe that? Now, this is not a, an intellectual question. It's a heart question. It's a faith question, right? It, it's, it's a question all of us have to answer. It's, it's like the question in the Gospel of Mark um, when, Mark, uh, when uh, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? That's a question we all have to answer one or multiple times during our life. Who is Jesus? Well, and here we have this one, right? Do, Jesus just looks at her and says, do you believe this? Do you believe that God is able to make someone who is dead live again? Right? And as best as she could, Martha said, yes, I, I, I believe, right? And this, this is an answer coming out of her faith. It's coming out of her heart, Right? It's, it's not something that she could have answered by going through some complicated you know, study and trying to figure out, like we would do a physics problem or a math problem to come up with the answer. Right? This is a heart question, right? and it's a question that is really key right, to our faith that applies you know, all the way across the board. Do, do I believe that God has the power to make someone who is dead, rise again. Yes, God has that power. And the power to make the dead live is the first fruit of that, the first proof of that, the first eternal proof of that is in the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus was raised from the dead, right? This is why the death, burial, and resurrection, that sequence in, in 1 Corinthians is so important because it's not just a Jesus that we encounter that someone claims rose from the dead. This was a Jesus who died physically on a cross, right? The body's dead. The body is dead. The body is buried. Everybody knows it's dead. It's lifeless. It's dead. And then that dead person rises again by the power of God. God can do this. Isn't that good news? <laughs> that means that death is not final. The worst thing the enemy can throw at us is death, right? I mean, that's the last card you've got is death, right? But in God's economy, that isn't the last card, <laughs> right? Because God can make the dead live again, proof Jesus, so if, if and, and Jesus is asking us that question, the word is asking us that question, just like Jesus was confronting um, the people in John, do you believe this? Yes. <laughs> That's why we're here, right? Um, I, I always think it's, it's, it's really fun just to take a, 
a little minute and think about this, about how different all of us are in this room. We have different backgrounds. I mean, we're so different on so many other levels. But what is it at the core that brings all of us into this place at this time? It's because we believe the most important thing. We believe the core of the gospel, right? That God rose Jesus from the dead. God can raise Jesus from the dead. God can raise the dead, live. So if that's the kind of power that is at work in us, then wow, what kind of lives do we should we have, right? This, this is where Christianity is not just an intellectual exercise. This, this, is a, this is where Christianity becomes a faith that when dependent upon the power of God can accomplish what other people think is impossible. Because it's not us, it's God doing it. How do we know that? Because God can raise the dead. God can make something that's lifeless and has no hope and has no ability, something as dead as dead is, God can raise it to life and make it live again. That is the best news ever, right? And that is what should make us as Christian communities the most vibrant and the most hopeful and be lights that burn really brightly because we're bringing this kind of hope to a world that is hopeless, that's what makes the difference, right? And it's really, it's, it's sad, but it's also kind of human nature for us to lose the point. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've never lost the point, right? <laughs> I mean, I preached for 20 years and I've lost the point a lot. You know, we, we get off on some other tangent, you know, not that it's a bad tangent, but it's a tangent to what's actually the core. Right, and this that, that God has this kind of ability. So let's, in the time that we have left, I want to talk about, now there are probably many more things than this, but for purposes of tonight, I've distilled it down into three things that I think the resurrection means for everyday life. All right, how does, what does this mean for us? At the core, it means there's hope. We, that we have hope for living. Right, that God is able to bring new life. Now, the thing I want to say about that, before I get into the three things that I want to talk about, is when Jesus taught, when God talks about in the scripture that God brings new life, this life is new. It's not a fixed old life. You're not buying a used car. Right? We're not getting a new engine. Right? We're not getting new tires. We're not fixing up an old model. God is bringing new life to us. Which means it's completely, it can be completely different than anything that, that you may have ever imagined. When, you allow, when a person allows God's spirit and God's work, the resurrection, to work in them, get ready because something's going to happen. And you just need to go with it. <laughs> uh, because, let me tell you, God can do, God brings newness, not fixed oldness. Right? So that needs to shape how, how we think about ourselves, at, at kind of at the core. So three things, right? 
How do we live now in the present? I'm going to skip through some of these. The, um, the first one is we have clarity. We have a clear direction in life, and that direction has to do with Jesus at the center, right? That, that Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is at the center. He's our Lord. He's our guide. He provides the direction for us. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because in the world that we live today, and it's probably not all that different from other periods, but certainly in this era, so many things compete for our attention. I read an article not too long ago that says that the average person on any given day is exposed to 3,500 different images, all of which are trying to get you to do what they want. Now this includes, this is probably much more than that now. Um, it's, you know, I mean, I will admit to thumbing through Instagram <laughs> and Facebook. I mean, the, the number of images. but. The point of the image, the advertisements, the television, all the, these kinds of images that come at us is that they're competition for direction in life. If you do this, then your life is going to turn out great. Advertising works on that, right? So there's this potential for us to be perpetually confused because, oh, I can go this way. Oh, no, that way's better. Oh, look at that one. That, my friend told me about this way, right? But with Christ at the center with the resurrection of Jesus, you've got the creative power of God available at work in you. Why would you want anything else? Right? You've got the power that created the universe that raised Jesus from the dead now at work in us who believe. That's really cool. Right? It's also universal, it's also eternal, right? So when we center on the resurrection and what Christ has, what God has done in Christ through that, it gives us that clarity, right? It gives us a clear direction. Now with that clear direction, right, we have hope. Now why is hope important? Well, it's important because particularly for our um, what's now called Gen Z, right, which is the new generation. It really takes time to keep track of all the generational names, but the you know, it's millennial, X, Y, Y, and all that. But the, the new one is Z, okay? So the, the new Gen Z research says that one of the things that people struggle with the most, not the only thing, but something that is, that is on, the, on, the, on the list of many is hopelessness. That there's just no hope. There's just no point. You know, we, we just kind of go through life. We don't know why we're here. Um, we can't, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're all broken. We don't have purpose. We don't really know what to do. Um, <clears throat> we've been exposed to all this, you know, trauma, and it's hard to get over it and all these things. So it's kind of this downward spiral into despair. And what the resurrection does for Christian, for the, the Christian message at the core of the gospel is, Okay, all of that may be in the world, but not in Christ, right? In, in the world, there's going to be all kinds of stuff that you go through, right? There's going to be death. There's going to be despair. There's going to be decay. There is going to be job loss. There is going to be financial trouble. There is going to be relationship struggles. There's going to be things that we can't fix. There's going to be all kinds of stuff that's going to conspire, <laughs> to put us in that downward spiral 
that would be easy as human beings to conclude, oh, what's the point? What's the point? It's just, this is just way too hard. This is way too difficult. And what the resurrection does, remember the question, can God make something dead live again? Can God make you live in a new way despite all the things that are happening to you? Can God raise us above all the trouble? Can God's spirit help lift us to where we see something other than all of the trouble? Yes. <laughs> yes, he can. And yes, he does. And yes, he will. And there is no one that's so broken that God will not do that for as a believer, right? Sometimes, and don't hear me wrong on this, but because I, I absolutely believe in therapy. I've had lots of it. It's great. <clears throat> oh, I can tell you all about it. I really think it's a great thing. But <laughs> as, a, as a person of Jesus Christ, when I focus on the resurrection, there is something greater than that, and that's the power of God at work in me. When I let God work in me, God's going to do stuff. And it's not going to be dependent on whether I'm fixed or not. It's going to be dependent on faith. Do I believe? Am I trusting in God who raises the dead? I can look at myself and see all my inadequacies and all the ways that I can't do this and I should have done that. And if only I had thought this, I can go and I will wind up kind of depressed. But in Christ, it's like, all right, so if all that's true, right? All that's true, it's no match for the resurrection power of God at work. Because God can do things through me, he can do things through you that we never imagined possible. Just like when Jesus was talking to, you know, to Mary, he says, do you believe this? Your brother's going to live again. Well, She's confronted with the Son of God saying that life is possible when everything else looks like death. And she says, yes, I do. Right? And I think this is what is so powerful when Paul says in um, Ephesians chapter 3, and when he closes with the prayer, he says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of the glorious riches he may strengthen you. Now hear this for yourself. He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. You can't get better than that. I don't think, right? And then he says, he goes on, he says, now, this is the important thing. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
right? God can do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. That is a description of the resurrection. Can you imagine how God can use you? Can you imagine the power of God that rose Jesus from the dead at work in us? Can you imagine what that would do if we let that go by faith, believed that, oh my goodness. Well, that's what Paul prays. I want y'all to know this. He doesn't say y'all, but you know, he, 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 he does want you to know, right? Um, the last thing is we have peace. Peace is something that all of us need every single day. And and I know we're talking about a Greek text, but I love the Hebrew version, shalom. Uh, It means wholeness, to be whole, to be a complete person. We all want this. And in Christ, the one who was raised to, to life, Christ brings us to wholeness. God's power. We don't bring ourselves to wholeness. Jesus brings us to wholeness. And we begin to experience that by faith as we put our trust in God to bring us there. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, um, I have it up here for you, he says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. It's the idea here is trouble's going to be here. As long as we're in these bodies, as long as we're here on this earth, trouble is going to come. And the point is not to... It's not that trouble is, is going to go away, but it's that through our faith in Jesus as the resurrected Lord, we overcome that trouble. In other words, the the... the God gives us the ability to rise above it and to be used in spite of the trouble. We overcome it, right? It, trouble doesn't have the last word in your life. Um, <clears throat> the, the thing about that that, that that I pretty much have to say is uh, I've had massive losses in my life, from my wife to my sisters to my parents. I mean, all happened out of sequence in time. Those losses, deaths didn't happen when they were supposed to. And I can remember being in the midst of all of that and thinking, how in the world am I ever going to get through this? And and at the time, you know, I was a minister. I was also working on my, I mean, working on my advanced degrees in Bible and it's just like the whole world was just collapsing, right? I mean, just the pain and the grief, and how do we deal with all of that? And I didn't know, before all of that happened, I did not, and I still don't fully, but I know more now about what the resurrection power means than I did before. Because I've watched God do unbelievable things. And it wasn't because I knew to do them. It was because God, when we cry out to him, and when we invite him in, and when we let go, 
just surrender yourself to the power of God. When, you st- when we stop holding on to our ability to, to do things and be useful and all of that, and we just believe, we just let God have us. We say, God, I trust in your ability to make me live again, to make me be able to serve you, to make me be able to do what you want me to do. You can do that because you raised Jesus from the dead, and that's where my faith is. See how that works? It's not that we're going to fix it, but God can do it. Right? All these songs that we sang tonight, which were absolutely perfect, right? You know, that one that we sang about, I need grace, I need peace, right? Those cries of help, God is going to answer because God can and did raise Jesus from the dead. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Amen.